we had seen some spectacular battles across time and space, but we knew all these heroes. The musical chair game of team-ups had become mundane and stale. We yearned to see drama and variety. Just when we thought we'd wrap up our ride-alongs, Martian Manhunter let slip that we'd want to stick around for the vote. We wondered if some fresh bylaw was going to be put into effect, but we canceled our plans when we heard it was new blood that was going to be added to the mix. Hi, I'm John. And I'm Matthew. And we are the DC Detectives. It is our job to go back through the annals of DC Comics history and chronicle the evolution of all your favorite heroes from start to every ver- eh, every reversible finish. It's the first time in months I've messed it up. Uh, uh, everything is ruined. It's okay. But you'll notice we are short one voice, and that actually fairly literally at that. We are, yeah. Uh, Shannon uh, is unfortunately sick, and she's getting over it, and uh, she will be back soon. Uh, when she feels like she wants to talk about some of this garbage occasionally. Um, <laughs> she's very in, she's very insistent about talking some of the female characters, giving a, f- a female perspective. But if it's a character she doesn't care about, uh, there's no need for her to uh, give an opinion about a character she hates. <laughs> if she, if she, that's kind of her mentality. She's that's, like, that's pretty reasonable. She's like, I don't want to talk about Metamorpho. And I was like, how can you not want to talk about Metamorpho? I have never read any Metamorpho. Oh, man, I'm excited. Because I haven't either, but I just want to know everything about Metamorpho. Um... <laughs> Today, the 1,000th issue of Action Comics was published. Oh, yeah. What, was that Bendis? Um, or, no, not no, no, Bendis is doing post But that. no, it, it's a collection of stories from a bunch of different people. It's mm-hmm. 80 pages. Damn. Um, so it's a super issue, which is cool. Um, I haven't read it yet, but uh, that's a thing historically that happened in the comics world, and I think that's very important to note. Mm-hmm. And apparently it's the 80th anniversary of Lois Lane's first appearance. Uh, yes, it is her birthday, which means, I mean, she was an issue after Superman, because technically Superman didn't have Lois in the first issue, if we think back, 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 back. Yeah, back. yeah, that's right. Um, so, yeah, yeah that's a thing. Wow. Yeah, so she's a month, she's a month younger than, than Superman is. Sounds right. Yeah. But speaking of Superman and his friends, <laughs> Segway. Segway. That was a bad one. Uh, we're gonna look at some more Justice League comics, three issues specifically, because these are kind of getting a little. They're less easy to talk about, but they're easy to cover because of things like the the contents less complicated, but it's also really intricate for weird reasons. Specifically, the the first one we're gonna cover. Justice League of America, number two, December 1960 to 1961. Uh, also December, January, so it's Happy New Year. Um, the JLA notices that all science and scientific powers no longer work. So, God help anybody who has, like, a pacemaker and things like that. Not that I, those existed in the 60s, but I was just honestly saying, like, trying to figure that out. Like, I, probably not. Or anyone but... on life support mm. in a hospital. Iron lungs. Yeah, not mm. a uh, that wouldn't work in what's going on here. Um, but meanwhile, Merlin in Magic World, I wish there was a better name, is attacked by Simon Magus, the Troll King, and Saturna, or Saturna, and they explain that they have made magic stop working in the Magic World because they've discovered a spell that swaps the dimensions' abilities for each other. So technically, the super sciencey things work in the Magic Realm, and magic works in the super science realm. It's a weird concept, but stay with us, it pays off. Merlin then goes, well, that's bull, and I need to find the JLA to 
you know, help me fix this. Meanwhile, the JLA is like, why does none of our stuff work? Which, I will also posit a, a weird thing here. Wonder Woman's powers don't work. At this point, I think they're implying that all of those characters are science-based. Right, and yep. I was like, we saw gods give her powers. We saw that happen. Yep. What the... Ugh. But... Wonder Woman is the only one that believes in magic enough to go, hey, in the Justice League library we have some spell books. So, just out of curiosity, I'm wondering if magic works. Because Green Lantern's at a magic show when all this first starts, and, he, and the guy doing the magic show actually does magic and is surprised, because he's like, this is normally a trick, but I just made a rabbit. <laughs> or whatever it is. I think he made, a, he made a girl disappear. Yeah, he made someone disappear, and then she wasn't there again. He's like, oh my god, I think I made her really disappear. And Green Lantern's like, let me check with my ring. Oh no, my ring doesn't work. So Wonder Woman's like, well, let's just see if another magic spell works. Lo and behold, it does. So Merlin comes to contact them and is like, yo, um, these three guys switched our dimensions. You want to go take care of them? Because if you go over there, you'll have your powers. And if I'm over here, I can help keep things okay with magic. And they're like, that seems like a, a square deal. Uh, Snapper, hang out with Merlin, I guess. And don't get into I want to read that story. I want to read that. The, the, like, this the ain't a bad story, but I want that one shot. Yeah, I want to read the one shot where Snapper and Merlin hang out for a day. That sounds like it's a good time. <laughs> Snapper and Merlin go to White Castle? Yeah. Let's, let's have that. So, uh, Chip Zdarsky, write that for us. But yeah, the Justice League goes to Magic Land, for lack of a better term. Uh, Martian Manhunter, Green Lantern, weird combo. Go after Saturna, or Saturna, and fight a manticore and a griffin now the weird thing about the manticore to this day still bothers me it has a man's face that's not what a manticore is like a manticore legit is a lion with a tail that has like a goat and a serpent on it it's not it's not like it's not that it's not a sphinx which is the the lion with the human face mm. no wrong Wrong. What mythology book are you reading, Gardner Fox? Probably none, because yeah. it's Gardner Fox. That is probably pretty accurate. Yeah. So they fight a manticore and a griffin, and uh, they win, and they stop uh, Saturna, who explains that uh, I'm holding a piece of the, the spell that caused all this. I guess you got to go and get everybody else's pieces. So we flash now to Wonder Woman and Flash, hey? Who I wasn't going to comment on it. Yeah, but, I, didn't, uh, I didn't realize that. Uh, who are fighting the troll army to get to the troll king now. The weird thing about the troll king is he just looks like a giant viking. Yeah. He doesn't look like a troll. Trolls apparently just is slang for big, tall, 10 foot to 12 foot viking per people. So one thing to, to tangent a little bit. Mm. I am legitimately curious to go back and reread, like... Primary source isn't the right word, but old history books, mm. uh, because we have absolutely done a decent job of codifying, I think would be the right term, uh, mythology and fantasy into, oh, here's what elves look like, here's what trolls look like, whether it be D&D &D or Warcraft uh, or Lord of the Rings, uh, those have pretty well locked in, here's what these things look like, and I have no idea how closely that maps to like, the original idea of what an orc looks like. Right. It, it For that would, matter, I actually have no idea where, what uh, mythology orcs are derived from. Yeah, I don't know either. That's, huh. a, that's a good point. Tolkien? Huh. I, I mean, definitely Tolkien. Huh. Yeah. Well, Wonder Woman and Flash fight the Troll King's army and get to the Troll King, and of course they conquer him, and he's like, here's a scrap of paper that, I, uh, that everyone else has, because apparently that's what you do when you're villains, is you keep the way to beat you on you at all times. Um... 
Aquaman, Batman, and Superman go after Simon Magus, or Magus, depending on how you pronounce it, and they have to do this, like, earth, land, and sea sort of situation. Aquaman is usually is the one who eventually grabs Simon Magus. <laughs> Batman is waylaid by handsy trees. Yeah. Uh, who just, like, kind of lift him up and just hold him in place, and he's like, I'm gonna set these trees on fire, and I'm like, did you... Well, we don't see them all burn. I'm gonna assume these sentient trees live. Because he's not... Spe mm. specifying that he burned the entire living tree forest down. It, it looks weird. very much like he started a fire, and if the trees hadn't put it out and been distracted by that, right. then they would have then there would have been a forest fire. Exactly. But as it was, it was just a, oh, you put a gun to our head. Well, good news is we stopped the bullet from being fired. Exactly. After defeating Simon Magus, the groups all get together. They say the incantation and open a portal back to uh, science world, and the dimensions are switched. Uh, through the dimensional portal, however, comes out another giant. They all start fighting this giant until the giant says, Yo, knock it off, it's me, Snapper Carr. And I'm like, how did you turn into a giant, Snapper? Did Merlin turn you into a giant? Did you accidentally say a spell and turn yourself into a giant? That's, I, that's I that story that's we want to know. I think that's the one that was implied, was that he wound up just accidentally poking something. Turning, turning himself into a giant. Again, that's the comic we all want, uh, <laughs> Snapper and Merlin. But... They eventually turn Snapper back to normal. Merlin's like, peace out, guys. I'm going to put these guys in magic jail. And they're like, great. We're going to go back to our dimension. And that's the end of the story. It's kind of cool, but really, at the end of the day, it's very circular. Like, it's just, it kind of go, and they, they yeah. keep the status quo. No one's really, like, there's no real progression there other than just we beat these guys and now we're leaving because they're in a dimension that we don't have to go back to kind of a thing. It, you know, compared to... The time-traveling guys where something like kind of gets resolved in the end or um, the people from different dimensions or planets. It's kind of like out there somewhere those people have had comeuppance and the magic world kind of is sort of... I don't know if it is really real or not. I it, mean, it's so fanciful that it, do, that it seems out of place. It really does seem out of place. Um, especially when you go to something like Justice League of America number 3, uh, 1961, February, March... Um, Good segue. Yeah. Uh, Kanjar Rowe. Hey, this is a guy from the Justice League Unlimited show. Uh, Kanjar Rowe is actually in the... I'm going to do math in my head because this is going to scare a lot of people. Third episode of Justice League? Uh, where Jon Stewart's put on trial by a galactic government because they think he blew up a planet because he was chasing Kanjar Rowe. Uh, Kanjar Rowe is essentially a warlord. Mm -hmm. A space warlord dude. And to defeat his other foes his foes he goes to the justice league and freezes the world in a state of suspended animation except them and he says to get everyone unfrozen you have to get all my my foes beat them get them to say my name and then your people will be free and then we're done our situation is complete but if you hurt me everyone remains frozen so they can't really hurt him and they go, alright, I guess we have to do this. Well, what happens about Superman? He goes, don't worry. I'm leaving Batman and Snapper Car here as bait. When Superman goes to talk to them, some kryptonite gas is going to come out and leave him, you know, immobilized. The rest mm -hmm. of you are coming with me. So everyone gets on this, like, canoe. It's a it's like space a, galley. Yeah, it's a space galley. and they. It's actually severe flashbacks back to space kangas yeah. and space... 
galleys. It's very golden space age. Space triremes. It's very golden age after we after we've seen legit spaceships and UFOs. Yeah. This is super golden age looking. It's a very strange flashback. And yeah. I actually I didn't think to check. Is that the same artist that we've had over the I think it is, yes. Huh? Fair enough. Um also just I mean it's every member of the Justice League minus Batman and Superman rowing a boat that Kanjar Row is at the head of. It sure just is. A, I mean, it's on the, the Instagram if you want to check it out. It's a very weird cover. But Kanjar Row sends Martian Manhunter, hey, it's his first solo assignment, Martian Manhunter to fight Krom. Krom. Sorry, uh, Conan reference. Superman, uh, oh yeah, he basically supermans his way through all of... Krom's defenses by like pushing, punching, drilling with his body and blowing things away and grabs Krom. And Krom's like, well shit, that was scary as hell. And he goes, yep, that was. Sorry. Like, I mean, Martian Manager makes like a giant bow and arrow, shoots it through Krom's building and right, like yeah. wraps Krom around it. It's very Superman. Um, Wonder Woman and Aquaman go after Hyathis, who is a water plant woman. Um, they eventually defeat her and they capture her for Kanjar Row. Flash and GL, hey, Brave and the Bold, um, fight Sayar. I mean, all the teams win. They get these people. And when they all kind of gather together, it's revealed that each of them has somehow managed to get the characters, like the their foes' voices, recorded. GL uses his ring. Uh, Martian Mandator made like a recording device on the planet he was on like out of scratch because that's what he could do. Martian MacGyver? Yeah, Martian MacGyver. I like that. Um, Wonder Woman... This was stupid. <laughs> Hyathis <laughs> was like mocking Wonder Woman through these flowers because I'm assuming she has plant-based abilities. And I guess Wonder Woman captured Hyathis's voice in one of the flowers and then like took her hand off of it. So all... All these groups have the three foes saying Kanjaro, which frees their planet, gets Superman and Batman okay, and Kanjaro has no power over them. So they're like, perfect. Aquaman takes Kanjaro's like baton that he's been using to conduct the ship, and he's like, screw you, buddy. And now they've got all four of these people, and they put them all on, a, on an asteroid, and they like jettison them into deep space to be like, get to get get along or be forever alone in space together. Now, my issue with this. It's never explicitly stated that these other people are evil. Just that Kanjaro is at war with them. Explicitly is the right word. The but, way that they are characterized is at I, least arrogant. Yeah, arrogant's fine. They're rulers of planets. But they never are doing anything evil. None of them have, like, soldiers that they send out to fight the Justice League that they're, like, whipping to fight them. Mm -hmm. They don't have, like, chained-up animals that they unleash. They don't have, like super weapons that they're willing to blow up their planet to kill the Justice League members with. They're just people defending themselves from Kanjar Rose, admittedly scary new bodyguards. Mm -hmm. That is technically accurate. They're they're coded pretty heavily. I didn't think but, that. Okay. I, like, when I saw them, I was like, those just look like aliens to me. Like, especially Hyathis, the plant woman, mm. looks pretty nymph. And I yeah. was like, she looks like a normal water elf character thing who happens to have, like, plant coloration. What about her is evil? What about any of these people who are defending themselves is evil? Especially their titles are, like, emperor, president, like, empress, whatever. And I'm like, those aren't inherently evil names. Kanjaro mm -hmm. specifically a warlord. 
Yeah, they're that's old. true. Which we do tend to associate more with an a force of instability right. and a neg- it has a negative connotation mm-hmm. they're all like empress king and, and like president none of those are immediately strike me as evil dictators it's... you're technically correct I, I i definitely read them as oh here are the other tyrants right i mean like you're clearly supposed to but yeah. there was no evidence to support that theory which is why i was like why are we just imprisoning these other people mm-hmm. like with an obvious villain Fair. Fair. Who kidnapped and tor- who's who's holding an entire planet hostage? Like the the way that they're shown, yeah. Like uh, she's a queen, he's a king, and he's an emperor. That's about all we get. And it goes, uh, for years we have battled one another in space and on our worlds, each seeking to gain complete mastery of our solar system, our solar system. That's a shared one. They're not conquering each other. Mm. It's a shared solar system. No, they're they're attempting to conquer each other. Because they're trying to get mastery over the solar system, achieving mastery over the others. True, but also, we're never seeing armies, it's just those four people fighting each other. That does seem to be accurate thus far. So I'm kind of like, what about them as evil? Also, Kanjuro's evil. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, you don't want him in charge. Yeah, like, that's that's the given. Okay, I'm just gonna flash back, because this is one of my favorite dumb moments from early uh, Jane Miles. Okay. Uh, do you remember the description of the uh, Dracula and Blade crossover with the X-Men? Yeah. You remember the line of, I believe I'm quoting directly, you don't team up with Saddam Hussein to take on Bin Laden. Yeah. It was, I think it's you don't <laughs> team up with Hitler to kill Oh, yeah, to kill you're right, Osama you're right, because that was 90s, that was 90s. Uh, no, no, it's, it's the Blade to movie. To kill Saddam Hussein. It's the Blade movie. Uh, <laughs> it's it's a real life, but I yeah I feel like this is kind of that instance where I was like, we don't know the whole story here, and frankly, the villains telling it. John, I want you to follow your heart. Yeah, no, I feel like the, <laughs> I feel like the JLA dropped the ball on this, and I'm I'm upset about that. I'm just saying, I'm upset about it. Uh, uh. Now. In a story where we have too little information, we're going to get far too much information in the next one. <laughs> Justice League of America, number 4, 1961, April, May. So the team is having a meeting. Uh, Wonder Woman is now the honorary chairman. They rotate according to their bylaws, which is interesting. Oh, I didn't notice that. And they um, are voting to see who should be the newest member of the Justice League, which is really cool. They talk about uh, Hawkman in Midway City. Hey, call out to Midway City. They talk about Adam Strange. Which is a weird choice, because he's all the way in the rest of the universe. Um, he's at Ran. How are you going to get that guy to be a Justice League member very frequently? Um, and then they say Green Arrow. And a couple people vote for Green Arrow, they vouch for him, and then the, the group is like, hooray, Green Arrow it is. And then a interloper shows up and is like, I've got Green Arrow. Now we're going to flash back to the beginning of the story. Carthan is captured by his leader because he has some sort of indestructible aura about him that makes him invulnerable and his leader is like i have to get rid of you because if everyone finds out you're indestructible and you're a scientist you're gonna basically be a figurehead for everyone to gather around because they think i'm a tyrant which me doing this pretty much proves that i am don't read too much into it i'm not and carthan's like well that sucks what are you gonna do with me he's like well i can't kill you and i can't keep you on our planet So I'm going to send you somewhere else. I'm going to send you to Earth. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to put three boxes on Earth that when they're activated will destroy the planet. So here's the thing. 
if you activate the boxes, you can leave the planet, but you'll kill the entire planet. But if you keep the the boxes covered by a sheet, a sheet, it's a sheet. Yeah. Uh, special metal. Yeah, it's special metal blankets. They don't turn capital on... Capital S, capital M, special metal. Yeah, special metal blankets. <laughs> um, if you keep them covered, the planet won't blow up, but you have to forever be there. And so Carthan's like, well, this is stupid. How do I get out of this? I know. I'll get the JLA to help me. They seem like they're the top dogs on this planet. But they won't understand. I like that he goes like, they won't help me if they don't think the planet's in danger. I thought it was that he couldn't bring himself to say for some reason. Like, there yeah. was some kind of... It's there a, was some psychological block that is explained in, like, half of a one panel. It's stupid. It's a dumb thing. It, like it manufactured. Yeah, let me let me find exactly... Because I, I, we gotta get this right, because it's really bonkers something about his aura is preventing him from asking the justice league for help literally that is the line i can't ask for the justice league's help something about my aura is preventing it i want to plead for assistance but i'm unable to do so so yeah it 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 is absolutely fiat he's unable he's unable to ask for help for capital r reasons (laughs) and so he goes, well, the way I get help is I become a supervillain and I get them to basically shut the doomsday machines off for me. So he triggers them, captures Green Arrow, and goes like, I've got Green Arrow, and also I've turned on these machines they are going to blow up the planet. They're like, you're a jerk, man. What's all this about? And he's like, can't tell you, bye. And... They're go- they go, okay, well, I guess we've got to, you know, stop these. So, Martian Manhunter and Wonder Woman go to Keystone City, which is, I don't know why you wouldn't make Flash go to his own city, but whatever, I'm not <laughs> going to talk. I didn't even catch we're that. Not even gonna, we're not even going to talk about, like, jurisdictional, you know, territory. Uh, Martian Manhunter and Wonder Woman fight off giant... I'm just in- imagining Flash just kind of showing up. Do you even have a badge? Yeah, do you even have a permit? Anyway, boy bands aside... Uh, Martian Manhunter and Wonder Woman fight giant insects at Keystone City in Flash's home turf, but we're not going to talk about that. And the giant insects, and there's also giant animals and some dumb giant other things. The the machine is making things grow indiscriminately. And Wonder Woman and Martian Manhunter go to the thing, and they're like, there's no lever. But maybe there is, like... Maybe it's extra dimensional. So Wonder Woman spins her lasso so fast it goes into a different dimension, wraps it around the lever that is an extra dimensional, pulls the lever, and it turns the machine off. Here's the bit I don't like. Martian Manhunter says good girl to her. Yeah. And I was like, are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. What? No one has spoken to her like that. And this is the this is the big moment that I wish Shannon was here for. It'd be like, the fuck was that? But I'm going to do it for her. That's bad. You're bad, Matt, Martian Manhunter. There's a reason you always have to be in a team. It's because you suck. That was bad. Don't do that. Spritz him with a water bottle. <laughs> no. That was, unco- that was uncalled for, uncomfortable, and you were totally useless during the situation. You don't, you don't good girl her. No, yeah. like, the one I expected that from? Friggin' Green Lantern. All yeah. the bad stuff that's been happening with random characters, I expected out of Green Lantern, because Hal has so much hate. <laughs> Hal is a very hated character by a lot of people, and I expected him to be a lot worse. 
and everyone else is being worse than him. And yeah. I and I'm like, that's not good. We but expected better from you. I expected better from from Barry, who's killing left and right. And I expected better from <laughs> only subs. Yeah, subs and a giant starfish. That's true. So he's killing. Yeah. He's killing. And Martian Manhunter. Wait. That's interesting. Are the only dings that we've had in the entire Silver Age thus far underwater? Aquatic, yes. Aquatically. Doesn't count if it's underwater. <laughs> Doesn't count if it's nautical. Uh, <laughs> that's a shirt. I want a shirt, yeah. yeah that's a shirt. Doesn't wow. count. Doesn't count if it's nautical. Wow, okay. That might be my new Slack away message. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't count if it's nautical. <laughs> Damn it, Gardner Fox. You had one job, and you were doing it so well until that. Yeah. Aquaman and Flash. They go to Australia, and they stop it from sinking. Because that's what that box is doing? It's sinking Australia? They, they stop it. In a, it's, it's pretty lackluster, comparatively. I mean, yeah. there's a force field around it, and Aquaman can't get to it, so he asks Flash to like kind of help him get through the force field, and he turns the machine off. It is, it's non-combat, it's not especially, like, problem-solving, it's just, hey, can you vibrate? Hey, can you come vibrate a little differently? Yeah. That did it. Perfect, we're good. Uh, Green Lantern, however, kind of has a really cool situation in Rome, where he's fighting a movie set's movie monsters that have come to life with his ring. I was like, this is actually pretty neat. Like, this is a cool... If 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 a supervillain was doing this, this would be a, a, a good comic. Um, but he fights these movie monster things that are coming to life, and it turns out the box that he's fighting is making inanimate objects come to life. So he has to go to the box. The box is, of course, shooting out yellow energy, and he has to brute force it. And it's like four panels of him trying to straight up brute force this thing. I'm like, good for you, GL. Like, doing doing the dirty work and, and like forcing all your muscle might and stuff through it. I was like, that was kind of cool. Um, we have Superman and Batman rescue Green Arrow from Carthan by finding his ship and they go and they bust through it and they get him out and Green Arrow's like, so here's the lowdown. And Green Arrow's literal job in this entire issue is just to do the info dump that Carthan's not a bad dude. And when Carthan shows up, Superman's like, screw that nonsense and like pushes Carthan and then Carthan's like, my aura's gone. It, there's no explanation why his aura's gone. It's just kind of worn off. And the rest of the Justice League, however, is stuck in this um, diamond prison thing because they go to the ship as well and then like they go in the trapdoor exit, I guess, and they get encased in a diamond prison. And Superman's like, I can't really do anything to it for some reason. Apparently my strength isn't enough. And Batman's like, well, if you can't do anything, I can't do anything. And Green Arrow's like, wait... I have a diamond-tipped arrow, and if I hit this diamond structure at the exact correct point with my diamond-tipped arrow, it'll shatter it. And they're like, that sounds better than any other idea we've got. And it works. And he saves everybody, and everyone's happy. And they're like, so, Carthan, are you going to go back home and not bother us anymore? Because this was kind of mean. And he was like, yeah, sorry about all this crap. Uh, I'm going to go home and take care of my own problems. And I, and I was like, thank God that like they didn't go to Carthan's planet and like, <laughs> conquer it and then be like, here's your new ruler. We just became kingmakers. Enjoy. And then leave. But he's like, no, that's cool. I can handle my own stuff. But you guys saved your own planet. So I guess like, you know, tit for tat. And just bails. And they're like, that was a good time. 
Hooray, Green Arrow, you're part of the JLA. And that's kind of where I wanted to stop because we're going to look at Green Arrow next just to kind of get a, a feel of things. And since this is 1960, I kind of want to go back over the ones that we were reading before this, get to 1960, and then move forward. Because yeah, it's it's really apparent, yeah. and I'll touch on that a little bit, that we are not of a different era, but we have definitely changed versus like the world's yeah. finest stuff that we were Time reading. Time matters yeah. in these. And yeah. clearly things have happened, and it's worth us going back and actually being chronologically correct with these, because apparently that is important. Alright, let me take a look at my notes. Here's a dumb thing oh, that good. entertained me a lot. Fantastic. You remember when, at the start of the Magic Land story... They all used their communication devices because even just in case it worked. Right. They were thinking in the plural. The line is, "Our emergency signals aren't won't work, but we've got to try." Emphasis added. Because, I don't know, like their thought bubbles needed to be in the plural. All right, whatever. Hmm. Yeah. 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 That's weird. Also, the uh, the trolls and all the various villains show up in Cadillacs instead of, like, Jeeps. It's just straight up. It's a caddy. And they have, like, the trolls are supersized, so they're, it's like Cadillac with driver, driver, and then giant troll in the back yeah. seat. It's, it's, it's comedic. It's like a, just a big-ass Viking in the back seat of a, of a Cadillac. Yeah. One other thing on that issue that I want to point out that is just sort of going back into our old style of pointing out weird foibles and sort of running with it. Yes, please. I haven't I haven't done that as much. Please, please so I'm, do I'm going to do something here. Yes. We talked about like how there are bits of science that if they stopped working would be a problem, like iron lungs or mm. cars while you're driving. Mm. Let's talk about the bits of science that probably didn't stop working. For instance scissors mm. scissors are simple machines not literally like that yeah. that pivot uh or is absolutely what that is or you know breathing requires science <laughs> so having a world so have, <laughs> most likely this is a world where some level of science is happening in both versions yeah. uh, it's probably just advanced science like i think they use the term man-made stuff technology uh, but that's what scissors are Right. Are you really going to try to tell me that scissors don't work? Like, what, that what swords? Like, sharpness is literally... Like, a sharpening a sword is literally just how small of a surface area can I put force upon. Uh, so, let's flip that around. Because here's the thing. We can make the assumption that some level of science works in both versions. Right. Does that mean some level of magic works in both versions? Clearly. Uh, also, it's like... The answer is almost certainly yes, because it's implied that magic used to work on Earth because they've got the books of magic, which, hey, they've got books of magic that presumably worked at some point. Yeah. Is it just that... Also Wonder Woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like, they they are... There are a couple points, like, later on as well, where they'll be like, ah, and their magic works in the world, and uh, they can't decide whether magic is a thing or not. But I do really like the idea that Magic Magic Land and uh, Earth like split apart at one point, yeah. And just some level of magic and science exist in both, but the advanced stuff is in one or the other. Mm. Uh, so that's my little headcanon. Uh, I'm also super down with this uh, when Green Lantern is fighting the Manticore. He has to rebound the ring's power off a wall. 
Sure. Instead of having it just like curved, because he doesn't, he basically doesn't have line of sight uh, or a line of angle. He can't bend his arm around because he's grappling with this thing. Uh, I really like that idea of Hal as the one who has the straight ahead kind of mentality where he has to work in straight lines. But yeah, uh, Kyle Rayner would have had like he would have been able to work with curves. He would have been he would have been more had more fun with it. Yeah, I talked in the past about the structure of these stories that they're well structured that mm-hmm. these these have satisfying conclusions. Uh, but I also want to talk a little bit about the type of story. Uh, so these stories are definitely less whimsical and they're more grounded in good storytelling techniques. But it's discarding the world building and sense of place we talked a little bit about this last time that the characters uh aside from their powers and their weaknesses and even sometimes with those powers feel extremely interchangeable the phrase that i'll use is there's no sense of place and not much sense of character like uh the one that i keep coming back to is we don't get sidekicks in this and we don't get like oh the you don't get Steve Trevor. You don't get Lois Lane trying to find out Superman's identity, uh, as compared to like the world's finest comics that were. That was where the stories came from. Right. Uh, so it interests me that in those nar- in those stories, the world's finest and Superman stories, the narrative was cooked from the characters' history and context, even if it was mostly a bunch of what ifs. In this, though. The stories have no direct tie to their context. You don't see the sidekicks. You don't see Gotham. You don't see the Joker. Uh, It's like the Superman stories were sitcoms that flipped the status quo each time. Where a story was, uh, to use the Friends naming structure, the one with the power switching. Where the status quo existed to be inverted as a play on what it was primarily. Whereas here... Uh, it's like it's more like uh, the Twilight Zone or the Daily Show, where the actors are the same, but there's no status quo. Right. So what I keep coming back to is, God, I sure would like one that had a status quo where the stories grew out of within the status quo. We really have. I don't think we've seen that since maybe Aquaman. I actually, yeah, Aqu- Aquaman would count. Uh, Flash and Green Lantern definitely. Uh, so can you provide examples for those who? Mm-hmm. have been listening to the podcast that of those characters yeah so let's talk about uh green lantern and dealing with a constant level of uh carol trying to figure out who he is trying to get him to marry her uh and the time where they where he, they meet up in the park and mm. he falls he falls unconscious for a minute and then as a result of him being there and falling unconscious while talking with her that construct construct goes crazy okay Uh, yeah i see what you mean yeah where the it's not that they're ever saying in that story oh she's gonna find out unless something changes and the point of the story is it's all going to change it's no this is a constant state of affairs where the these pieces set in opposition or in systems with each other are leading to uh, stories that aren't necessarily going to change the status quo, but are emerging from it. It's Team Rocket. Yeah. It's Team Rocket always chasing Pikachu. Mm -hmm. Eventually, that will be the plot of the episode, but until then, it's them at the new town. Yeah. All right, what else do I have? Uh, 
there's been a pretty major sh uh, pivot in the types of stories that are being told. Uh, so remember that in 1957 with World's Finest, the villains were consistently, they were mundanes. They were organized crime, they were grifters, etc. Compare that to these stories. You might have heard us talk about some serious sci-fi shit. Yeah. Well, serious is the wrong word, but sci-fi-ass sci-fi. Serious, uh, not serious in tone, but like majorly sci-fi. Yes. Um, so I actually did a, I looked back at World's Finest's run from 1957 to 1962 to try to pinpoint where this shift happens. And, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, because I was literally just flipping through covers. <laughs> but you get a pretty good sense from covers. Yeah. And the answer was, it, it looked like it, first off, it's not just Justice League. No. It was World's Finest as well. Yeah. Um, and... It seems like World's Finest pivoted to A, large villains, and B, sci-fi, pretty much right after we stopped reading. So, right around, like, 57-ish. Well, Wonder Woman had a lot of sci-fi going on, too. Green Lantern so. is basically yeah. all sci-fi. Same thing with Flash. Hmm. Martian Manhunter's entire character is sci-fi. Well, his character is, but his villains were always... Uh, yeah, they were criminals, but, like, just the idea that he's an alien is science fiction. It's science fiction noir. I would actually be legit curious now to look back on uh, Martian Manhunter because, for, not to reread, but to, <laughs> to refresh my notes. Let's be clear on this uh, because I do remember there was the point, like the first episode was all him as a just general crime fighter who had abilities. And then the second episode, we started seeing much more of the Martian element. Right. Now I'm curious. Uh but yeah, I'm not curious enough to go well, back and reread that back. dog we're shit. Have to go back no, and we don't. Re read some more to get to this point. You know what we could do instead? You know what we could do instead? We could read Uncle Scrooge. Mm. You want to <laughs> get that for us? <laughs> yeah, I'll do it. Find I'll it, fucking do it. that. <laughs> um, I also want to talk. Uh, I mentioned this last time, but it's worth reminding everybody. The panel layout is still really good. Like they're yeah. they're mixing up the. Uh, vertical panels and the horizontal panels it's very rarely just the six panel grid it's it keeps it looking and feeling dynamic they're never doing the like cool like uh flash like vibrating his hand through uh in three different panels uh through like a grating but it's so much not just dull yeah Ooh, two bits um the first is actually a little bit relevant to your rant a little bit uh, in one of the letters to the editor, uh, the editorial team takes a stance on Wonder Woman's heels. They say that the costume as a whole was given to her by Aphrodite, and Wonder Woman considers her costume like sacrosanct. Okay. So that's that's how they... Lampshade isn't the right word, but that's how they explain a way that Wonder Woman is now wearing heels instead of flats. Which, meh, meh. Mm. Uh, the other thing that is... Uh, less consequential, but more financially consequential. Uh, one, the cover to issue number four mentions that it is still ten cents. <laughs> That's important because most publishers were going to twelve cents, and Dell, which did the Disney books, went to fifteen cents. Dell made a mistake, mm. uh, and that's actually like you heard me talk last time about how I think right around sixty-two, sixty-three. Uh, Uncle Scrooge got knocked out of the top right. space, yes, and that's yes. a large part of it. Is hey, hey, check their price up by a lot, and I think that's everything that I have. 
So, do you have anything else? Or oh, never mind. This one's cool. <laughs> um, this one—it's more just a dumb little observation. So, every once in a while, you'll hear uh, like "tk" or "tk" used as a verb. Yeah. Very occasionally, but sometimes. Like, mm-hmm. I, I think mainly in the context of Jean Grey, actually. Like, using her teak. Uh, yeah, like, when the characters are yeah. talking about it. Okay. We don't have an equivalent for tel- telepathy. Like, we have to say, use telepathy. Not, like, use, well, I mean, it would be TP. Right. But, which, no. But <laughs> it's it's interesting how we don't have that, despite the fact that telekinesis and telepathy have been, like, the two main forms of, like, psionic power in the public consciousness for a goodly long while. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I didn't actually think about that. Yeah. Uh, linguistic drift. It's interesting when it doesn't happen. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that's all I've got notes-wise. What do you have for recommendations? So I recently bought, I believe it's Green Lantern Core. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of Green Lantern books. Um, <laughs> right I proper. recently bought Green Lantern Corps, and it is primarily focused with Simon Baz and Jessica Cruz, who are the two Earth Green Lanterns for 2814, because we can never escape Earth Lanterns for 2814, but hey, what are you going to do? Um, and I, I like it. They're two very different characters. Um, Jessica Cruz has agoraphobia. And it's a constant anxiety and things like that. It's very interesting to kind of like see her. I don't. It's actually not agoraphobia. She just has anxiety mm-hmm. um, because her fear of going outside is for a very real reason. But she has anxiety, and Simon Baz is dealing with racism. He's a Muslim man, um, and it's just a really interesting dynamic. The two of them are very polar opposites. Hal essentially says, "You guys are partners. I need you to deal with this." I gotta go do stuff in space. He merges their power battery. What? So that they <laughs> what? Have, so that they have to charge up together, essentially. <laughs> oh, he's like, he's space dad. Yeah, he's like, you guys have to figure your shit out and just do this. And if you get in trouble, ask the league. And then like goes to do whatever I'm assuming Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps book is. Because mm-hmm. there's Green Lanterns, Hal Jordan and the Green Lantern Corps, and then there's another book, I think, that's going on. Um, but he goes to then do whatever's in his book. And Simon and Jessica are left to be on Earth. And it's kind of funny to watch them like deal with the local cops who are like, are you a new Green Lantern? Like, is this how, how does this work? Um, Simon's dealing with, like, the FBI. I guess they're, like, I didn't read part of New 52 where he gets introduced, but apparently there was a situation where he was held in Guantanamo Bay for a while uh, Mm. under suspicion of terrorism, and there, he was wrongfully accused of terrorism. Gets out, and then the FBI is, of course, keeping tabs on him because they keep tabs on everyone who they suspect to be a terrorist, and they're like, in exchange for, like, not doing stuff to you and your family why don't you give us information about the green lantern corps and i'm like that's interesting that's an interesting little bit uh, jessica cruz has her own storyline her own backstory and her and her story kind of revolves around her sister trying to help her get back out of the house and deal with her anxiety so it's interesting they're good characters i like them i'm interested to see where it goes 
Um, the primary conflict for the first volume is with the Red Lanterns. Hmm. Um, so there's a lot of conversations about anger and being upset with each other and how to deal with like flying off the handle because Jessica's really scared, but apparently not scared enough to not be a Green Lantern. Um, and Simon's really angry about the situation that he's been put in. So they kind of weave back and forth about emotion and how these two are trying to balance each other out and need each other to be partners. It's actually kind of really interesting. And for my first experience with these characters, it makes me like them a lot. It, it, it could be better in some respects. And they both have little pet peeves and quirks that get on me. But that doesn't mean I don't like them. And I'm interested to see where their characters go. And I'm willing to keep reading them. So I think that's kind of cool. And I think for those of you who aren't um, too attached to guys like Hal Jordan, Guy Gardner, Jon Stewart, um, and Kyle Rayner, this book is probably fun. Because it kind of does go through the basics of being a Green Lantern. Like, there's interesting things where they talk about Simon carries a gun. <laughs> and they talk about that, like you're a lantern why do you need a firearm and he's always worried that what if the ring doesn't work and jessica kind of calls him out on it like you're being scared because you th you're afraid the ring won't work and my fear is a personal thing and blah 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 and so like they kind of do press each other's buttons about their insecurities and i think that's kind of cool that green lantern as a book by definition being tied to emotion allows for a lot of really interesting conversations between characters about emotion and how people feel. And I think that's something that's overlooked in the Lantern books because it's always just like space opera and action and space cops, but like the times when they kind of pare it down to actual emotion is really interesting because we don't talk about emotion a lot in superhero comics. And, mm -hmm. I, and I like the psychological conversation that's happening between these two characters about being scared being afraid not feeling like they're going to be good enough because obviously their mentor is hal jordan that's a big responsibility and hal's like i believe in both of you there's a reason i think the two of you've been picked and i like that hal isn't part of the book i'm mm -hmm. a huge hal jordan fan but i like the fact that he's very hands-off and it purposely is like hal jordan gave a seal of approval and then he's gone and it's their book it's not like he shows up and mentors them and trains them it's like nope they're on their own you have to like these people or not and they're part of the jla now and that's what it is and i was like that's really cool that they made that decision to be like hal says yes and then he bounced it was just enough for me to go like honestly well if hal likes these people clearly there's something to it especially as a hal jordan fan mm -hmm. yeah I can go read Hal Jordan and the Green Lanterns if I want and see what's going on with him and whatever, you know, at Oa. But these two people are on Earth that they're dealing with, like, I think one's, like, Milwaukee and the other one's, like, <laughs> like they live in weird places. Like, they don't live in, like, Coast City or Metropolis. It's, like, they live in normal towns and the people they deal with are normal people. There's, like, sheriffs and cops and stuff like that. And I was, like, this is really interesting and really cool. I think it's, I think it's Michigan. I think they live mm -hmm. in Michigan. It's really great. Like, I think it's a fun read. Um, I haven't finished the volume yet. Um, I've got to, like, this fifth or sixth issue, but it's really good, and I think it's cool. And, and it's a good introduction to Green Lantern if you have a base knowledge of Rebirth and where the Green Lanterns are at right now to just kind of be like, uh, new people. 
and go at it. I kind of I I liked them enough that I googled both of them to see more about their backstories. Nice. Because I was like, they keep talking about this, and this seems really interesting. And then when I found out their backstories, like that's cool. Oh, that's cool. Okay, we're we're working that in now. I understand all this stuff. That's neat. So, if that gives you an indication of how much I like these characters, I wanted to learn more about them enough that I had to wiki them to keep reading because I wanted to know that badly. It wasn't like, God, they keep referencing crap that I don't know and I mm-hmm. don't want and I don't care about because I'm not seeing it. It, it was, was like inspirational yeah, continuity it was, or hooking continuity. It was very <laughs> hooking. It, it was written well enough that I was like, wow, something that messed her up is really interesting. I got to figure out what that is. And then when I read mm-hmm. it, I was like, I want to read her first appearance now because that sounds really interesting and different. So, yeah. Nice. All right, so on my end, I'm going to recommend, I think the name of it is uh, The Castle of Coliostro. Oh, yeah, yeah. You were talking about this one on Twitter the other day. Yeah, so I have a group of friends that I'm watching over a period of, uh, it's probably going to wind up being like 12 weeks or whatever, uh, each of the movies that Miyazaki made. Cool. Uh, not just the Studio Ghibli stuff. Actually, this one is pre-Studio Ghibli. Uh, and his first movie that he directed was A Loop in the Third Movie. Now, for context, I have no exposure to Loop in the Third as a character other than this. It sounds like the character is usually a very different version of the character. I read a quote from the uh, creator of the character and uh, about how he would have had his char- that character act in a particular scene in this movie. And it was like, uh... No, thank you for not including that, Miyazaki. Uh, But this version is delightful, Mm. but also delightful and also really well done. Like, snippets of characters, like, there's this cool badass swordsman guy. Mm. And that's, in this movie, that's the entirety of his character because I have no context for him in any of the rest of it. (laughs) There is cool spy lady. They have... Like, there are characters who get the appropriate amount of screen time to be interesting and do cool stuff, but it doesn't hang itself up on, like, uh, character development for them. It focuses the the actual progression around the core characters, really just around Lupin, uh, and then to a degree also uh, the... You can't even call it the love interest, right. because Miyazaki does the very artful thing of this is a person and a situation that Lupin feels sentimental about. And and rather than, oh, they're going to end up together at the end. Uh, and it makes it a much nicer movie for it. And the, the, the design of the place is beautiful. It, it, it is a 16th century European castle town as interpreted through... A, it being in the modern day, so it's like, okay, it's got the history of that. Right. Uh, and also through, like, the style of Miyazaki. Like, there's this great shot of, like, the the main castle is, like, in the middle of a lake. Uh, and there's just this little aqueduct that lines all the way out to, like, the the keep at the, at the outside, like, at the edge of the lake. Hmm. And it's just, like looking at this shot of oh they're flying over this little aqueduct this little line of uh white stone and all of the lake next to it and it's just beautiful and it's 
it's fun. It's jazz because that's their style. It's super seventies. Nice. It's super seventies. It it's cool action sequences. It's fun. It's slapstick. Uh, I really enjoyed that movie. Cool. I would recommend it in a second. Absolutely. Uh, we watched uh, we watched a sub. I I have no idea how any of the dubs are, but yeah, like not overly complicated, fun stuff, pretty. Yeah, definitely recommend it. Sounds like Miyazaki. Yeah, that is my recommendation for the day. Cool. So next episode we will be. I don't know. What do you think? You, you want to go back and look at the the, the league members? catch up to the 60s and then do green arrow like i'm a little bit reluctant well actually here's the other thing is green arrow has actually been around for a while well actually here's a thought why don't we do a smorgasbord okay uh just read a chunk of each of those and go from and like pick out what we're interested in uh maybe okay Here's a thought. What if we read a couple different characters and just choose more or less at random? Like, you you, you read a couple stories that you're interested in from a couple different characters. I do the same. And we do, okay, here's narration of what the stories I read, like one or two that I think are emblematic, and talk about what we're seeing in those stories so that we can, we can still have discussions of specific stories and, but also cover a breadth instead of feeling constrained like, okay, we need to catch all the way up through Martian Manhunter. Because well, that, that sounds miserable. Well, my concern with that is, is that we might miss things that are important. Because if we, if we cherry pick out a Green Lantern, we could miss him meeting, like, Tomar Ray well, or Sinestro. Because that's the thing is, mm-hmm. like, we're at a point with Green Lantern where pretty much every issue now is going to be important for the lore of Green Lantern. So that that's one of the questions. I think it'd be very reasonable for us to like flip through uh, and see whether it's something that would be important. Okay, so it's a mystery right yeah. now. It's a we'll, mystery. We'll figure it out. We'll we'll uh, we'll figure it out uh, before obviously before next episode, <laughs> but we'll we'll let you know, uh, and it'll be pretty obvious what we do by the time you listen to it, and we will see you all next time. DC Detectives can be found on SoundCloud and iTunes. To stay in the know, check out our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and dcdetectivespodcast.com. And with a chorus of agreements, Green Arrow filled out the Justice League. While the heroes celebrated, we walked through the trophy room and flipped through the records of their adventures. The team had gelled quickly, even if some of the characters had been lost along the way. Heroes of legend, going on dramatic adventures with satisfying conclusions. We couldn't stay, of course, but we could fill in the gaps of the members' histories before we left. 